thank you, Tisha, John, and the team who led us now. It's in uh, drawing us closer to God. And that's ultimately why we gather here this morning. Is to, it's because of Him and it's for Him. Those of you who are visiting us this morning, my name is Jonathan. It's a great privilege for me to be able to uh, speak to us this morning and share from God's Word. Um, before we get into that, I was just um, thinking about 11 years as a church. In church terms, that's relatively young. But the reason why we celebrate and we highlight certain things this morning is not to lift up our name as every nation willows, but to acknowledge God's faithfulness over our lives, His faithfulness and His grace over our church. It's a way of saying, thank you, God. We celebrate what you have done, and we look forward to what you're going to continue to do as we stay faithful to what He has called us to. And, and that's my plea for us as a church, that you would not just sit here and be part of association, but that you will be part of what God has called us to do, that you will be part of who we are through participation and not just association, because each one of us got a role to play in the kingdom of God. And if God has led you to a place where you become part of this spiritual family, I believe it's because you have a part to play in this family that adds to fulfill the purpose that God has called us to as a spiritual family. So I want to encourage us, may we not become complacent with what we have. May we not become complacent with gathering as a church, speaking out nations, encouraging each other to reach out to friends and families, to make disciples, because that's the way that we honor God, by truly being the church that He called us to be. Amen. We're going to continue our series this morning. Um, it's called Set Apart. If you've been joining us from the beginning of the year, you would know that we've um, had this series that's being preached in all our Every Nation churches across the world. And the theme of this Set Apart series is a biblical view of holiness. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at God is holy. And because God is holy, he de His holiness demands a response from us as his people. But we also looked at the challenge of holiness, that we've lost our holiness, that because of sin, there's separation between us and God. And then we've looked for a couple of weeks of how God has restored holiness, how God has revealed holiness through his son. And ultimately, we come to a place where today we're going to speak about if God is holy, how do we live holy lives? If God is holy, and we've lost our holiness, and God has restored holiness, how do we live a holy way? Which is the question. What does it mean to live holy? For some of us, to live holy means perfection. That you have to act and live perfectly. Not to make any mistakes. It's Jesus and you, and then the rest of Christians. For some, holy living means performance. That there are certain things that you have to do. You have to be better and do more. For some, holiness means comparison. You're looking at the people around you, and you're just making sure that you're living better than them. Looking at the world... And there's just, you're slightly better than the world. Therefore, you're holy. 
For some, holiness means monastic living. To give up all pleasures and desires and to live like a monk or a nun, isolated from the world. What does it mean for you to live holy? See, 1 Peter 1, verse 5, 15 to 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. The holiness of God demands a response from the people of God. It demands us to live differently. If God is holy, His people should live holy. If God is separate, set apart, different, then the church, the people of God, should be set apart and live differently. I would argue if we fail to live something of God's holiness towards the world, we're embarking on a paradoxical Christianity, meaning it doesn't make sense. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense that we come together as a church, because there's a holy God, but our lives do not change. It doesn't make sense that we say there's this creator, the almighty God, who chooses to be in relationship with us, but we're not willing to give our lives to him. It doesn't make sense that we say there is no one like God. He is loving, and He made a way for us to experience Him. It is the best thing that we can do in this life because there's eternity waiting for us with God, and yet we are not concerned with those who do not know Him. If our lives is not different than the world, and yet we say we serve a holy God, we are busy with a paradoxical religion. It is crucial that we say and answer the question, how do we live holy lives? Holy living in response to God's holiness. And that's what we're going to try and answer this morning by looking at a specific scripture. It's the letter to the church in Colossians. So the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Colossians. And if you have your Bible with you, we'd love you to turn. We're going to read from Colossians 1. Now, Galatians is a really fascinating letter. It's one of my um, favorite letters in the Bible to this church. And just to give you a little bit of background as to what's happening to this community of believers, um, Paul is writing to address some heresy teachings that's taking place in this church. He's gotten a report of what's happening in his church, and he feels compelled to correct what is happening in this church. See, there's some teachers that came, became part of this church, and they call themselves Christian teachers, and they've been teaching a, a mixture between Christianity and philosophy and mysticism of the culture. They started mixing the philosophy of the Greeks and this mysticism with Christianity. What's more, they've led this church to go back to some of the Jewish principles, so they are preaching that not only can you believe in Christ, but you also have to get circumcised. You have to uphold certain dietary laws, abstain from certain things. 
you have to keep holy days and holy feasts. So they're mixing the gospel with the mysticism of the age, with the philosophy of the age, and they're bringing in Jewish religion, things that you have to do. What's more, they started to teach that there's the supernatural powers that acts as mediators in the spiritual realm. And that not only that these powers exist, that we should acknowledge these powers, not we, the church in Colossians, and start to worship these powers as Lord. Almost like, almost like ancestralism. And in the midst of all this blending of philosophies, mysticism, religion, cultural beliefs, the gospel got lost. And they are practicing a paradoxical Christianity. Where they are doing certain things that just doesn't make sense. And they've lost the gospel. The simple gospel message. And when we lose the gospel, Jesus becomes less. And the main theme of this letter of Paul, and if you have time, please go and read the whole Colossians. Paul is just saying to them, Jesus first. It's because of him, it's for him, it's by him, it's him in everything, and everything is for him. It's about Christ, and there's nothing that compares to Jesus. And, God is call, and Paul is calling this church back to the simple yet profound message of the gospel. And we're going to reach certain sections of this this morning. Let's pray. As Father, as we think about who you are and your holiness and what you've already done to, for us through your Son, Lord Jesus, then Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning that we don't want to live this paradoxical um, lifestyle where we say one thing but we live in another way, Lord. We don't want to lose the essence of the gospel. And therefore, Lord, as we draw near to you this morning through reading your word and preaching on your word, Lord, I pray that you would, by your grace and through your spirit, enlighten your word in such a way that it gives us understanding to your will, that it will bring change to our hearts and our minds. Ultimately, Lord, that it will live lives that glorifies you. Because as the Apostle Paul said to this church, Lord, everything is because of you and for you. And therefore, Lord, as we humble ourselves unto the authority of your word and the power of your spirit, may you come and do your perfect will in and through us this morning. We ask this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going to read um, Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. If you don't have your Bible with you, you're welcome to follow with me on the screen. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way, bearing fruit on every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, in a certain sense, the New Testament gives us so many ways. It teaches us so many ways in which we 
can live holy life. So many ways, practical ways, that we live a way that is holy and pleasing on towards God. But if we had to summarize, if we had to find a summary of what it meant to live holy, I believe, or I want to suggest that it's this. To live a life worthy of the Lord. That's what it means to live holy. To live in such a way that my actions, my conduct, my language is a response to God's worthiness. To live in such a way that people see something in my life that says they are living for something greater. They are living for something that's worthy above themselves. To live a life worthy of the Lord is holy living. But I'm sure all of us would agree. This is a great Christian statement, difficult in practice. I'm sure all of us would agree it's much easier to say, I live a life worthy to the Lord and to actually do it. It's not just something that naturally happens. And that is ultimately the question that we're asking this morning. What needs to change inside all of us in order for us to live a life that is worthy of the Lord? If this doesn't happen naturally, what needs to change in order that we can live a life worthy of God? Paul goes on and then he explains to them, as already mentioned, how everything is because of Jesus and Jesus first. And then we get to verse 20. And Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I don't know about you, but I've never thought of myself as an enemy of God. I've never actively woke up and said, Today I'm going to oppose God. But Paul is writing to them and he's saying to them, there's a way of living that is not worthy of the Lord. In fact, it's not just not worthy of the Lord. It is opposing to God. As if you are an enemy of God. See, we need to understand there's not three ways of living. There's not you're an enemy of God and you are holy and worthy and worshiping and honoring God. And then there's this in-between part where you're in limbo. That doesn't exist. Either we live for God according to His will and in line with His purposes or everything outside of that. It's opposing to him. It's opposing to his will. It is as, we, as if we are enemies of the kingdom of God. There's a way of living that is not worthy of the Lord. There's a way of living that can bring separation between us and God. Alienation. We are alienated from God. Because of our sin. 
Sin separates us from God. When we have no time for God, when our schedules are full of things that are seemingly more important than God, when there's no time for God, we are separated, alienated from Him. Our actions and our conduct can go against the kingdom of God. It's when our actions and our conduct might keep others from experiencing God. When our actions and our conduct prevents the establishment or resist the establishment of God's kingdom in a situation. That's when we act as enemies of God. God wants to use our lives to establish his kingdom. And whenever we resist it, we're acting as enemies of God. Sin and our conduct separate us, alienate us from God. See, when our actions and our words and our conduct do not look different than that of the world, we need to ask ourselves, is my life reflecting something of God or of the world? James 4 verse 4 says, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, hostility against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There's not a third way of living. This is the harsh reality that all of us need to face. There's a way of living that opposes God. A way of living that's alienated from God. There's a way of thinking that is not worthy of the Lord. If we go back to Colossians 1 verse 20, it says, it's in our actions but also in our thinking. If we think in such a way that we constantly doubt the character of God, when we constantly doubt as what God has done enough, when our thinking makes us feel far from God, makes us feel as if God doesn't care, that we are not good enough, that alienates us from God. If our thoughts are only self-centered and self-seeking, it opposes the will of God. If our decisions are made independently, apart from God, doing just what we feel is right in our own eyes, it opposes the will of God. When there is no room in our minds for God, we might be living as enemies of God. If our lives are all about us, then we are acting as enemies of God. So this morning, if you reflect over your actions, your words, the language that you use, and your conduct, if you think over your thoughts, is your way of living worthy of the Lord? Just for a moment, is your way of living 
worthy of the Lord. Is the way that you are speaking worthy of the Lord? Speaking about our nation. Speaking about other people. Speaking about family. Speaking about your spouse. Speaking about your children. Speaking about teachers. Speaking about your boss. Speaking about the president. Is it worthy of the Lord? Is the language that you're using worthy of the Lord? Or are you adding some adjectives? On what and how are you spending your money? Is it different from the world? Or is our spending exactly the same than anyone else's? Are we spending our resources on the same things the world's spending on? Is the way that you conduct your finances worthy of the Lord? Is what you watch late at night Worthy of the Lord. In those areas where nobody knows what you're doing and nobody sees what you're watching, is it worthy of the Lord? Is your sexual conduct worthy of the Lord? Is the way that you spend your time worthy of the Lord? Is the way that you acted on Friday at the Bri worthy of the Lord? The way you handle yourself in social environments, is it worthy of the Lord? The way you go about with alcohol, is it different than the world? How about your online scrolling? Your online presence, that what you post and that what you like and that what you challenge, is it worthy of the Lord? See, there's a way of living that is against God, a way of thinking that opposes Him. And all of us, areas of our lives, that is not worthy of the Lord. But, verse 21, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. But God, probably two of the most powerful words in the Bible, but God. All of us sit with areas in our lives that is not worthy of Him. All of us are sitting with areas in our lives that are shameful, that opposes God, that alienates us from God. But God. Romans says, while you were still sinners. But God. Even though our thoughts and our actions might oppose Him, God chooses to reconcile 
this sinful being and actions with himself. Imagine the worst part of your life, the one that is least worthy of God, and God takes that and he reconciles it with Jesus. But God. See, this word used here for reconciliation means to change from one condition to another. That's what happened on the cross. That is what Jesus has done. He's taken this condition of being far from God, being an enemy of God, and he changes our condition into something else. On the cross, Jesus experienced alienation and separation from the Father in order to bring us close in relationship with him. There's this exchange that took place, a reconciliation. On the cross, Jesus takes this sin, this worst versions of my life. And 2 Corinthians says, he became sin. He didn't just take the sin, he became sin. And in that moment on the cross, God deals with sin. And Jesus receives the penalty that the enemies of God deserve. God dealt with our adversary and sin on the cross. And Jesus takes this version of us, this sin. And he reconciles us in such a way that we experience love, grace, joy, peace with God. On this side, we're supposed to fear him. Fear what might happen with us because of God's holiness. On this side, we fear him because we know his holiness. brought us into relationship, and in His holiness, we experience a grace and a peace and a joy that is so undeserving. Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's this great exchange that takes place. And because of what Jesus has done, we receive a new status because of what happened on the cross, because of God's willingness to reconcile us with him, there's a new status that we live with. See, when God now looks at us, what does he see? What does he choose to see? He chooses to see sin has been dealt with and what he says of our lives, I present you as holy in my sight. Without blemish, completely forgiven, free from any accusation. This is the status that we have. God says, you are holy. You are holy.
You are holy not because of what you've done. Not because of anything that you deserve. You are holy because of what Christ has done. Our holiness is not based on what we do or don't do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. And nothing that we do or don't do can change that. The only thing that can change it if you reject the message of the gospel. If you reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But before anything that you can do for God, God views you as holy. Just for a moment, think about it. Before you can do anything for God, he looks at you and he says, because of Christ, you are worth holy. If, second part of that sentence, if there's a condition, you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the condition. You must continue in your faith. We need to understand that this gospel message is not based on a once-off decision to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. You have to continue in your faith, meaning there is a continuation daily, a continued decision to trust the finished work of Jesus. Every day when I sin, I turn to God and I say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for your goodness. Would you forgive me because of what Jesus has done? I continued trust in the finished work of Jesus. I continued trust in the hope of the gospel. It says there's a hope held out in the gospel. The hope that as we continue to make Jesus our Lord and our Savior, as we continue to submit our lives to Him, He starts to change our conduct, that our conduct starts to reflect that who God says we already are. There's a hope. That I will not forever struggle with this thing in my life. Because God says you're already forgiven. God says you're already conquered. God, would you help me to become what you already say I am? This is the justification and sanctification that happens through the cross. When God looks at us, he says because of Jesus, you are already justified. Just as if you've never sinned. But God loves us enough that he will not leave us with the habits of sin. And by his spirit, he will start to sanctify us, to start to become the men and women that God created us to be, to live holy. But when he looks at us, he sees us as holy. But we have to continue in that faith. Very practically, it means that every day, we're choosing to submit our lives to Jesus, not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. And as Paul says to this church in Collins, that, that means he is first in everything. First in the way that I speak, the first in my social environments, first in my work environments, first in my family, first in my finances, first in whatever God has called me to, 
put Jesus first with the hope that he is worthy. What he has done is enough. Growing up, uh, I grew up in an environment where I really struggled to feel um, accepted. I grew up with this feeling that no matter what I do, nothing is good enough. And I learned this habit, I, I embraced this lie that my acceptance and approval is met according to my performance. So I started to live in a way that I believed. If I do the right things, if I excel in certain things, the better I do things, the more I will be loved and accepted and approved by people and by the people closest to me. And it started a trajectory of my life where I constantly tried to do the right thing. Constantly. Constantly tried to perform and do my best and do more. But it was never enough. I lived with this emptiness inside of me. Not good enough. Made me feel like an absolute um, failure because I had this outward appearance of having everything together, but inward, I just felt like a failure. And as a student, I gave my life to, to the Lord. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And unfortunately, I carried this lie into this relationship with God as well. And I started to perform for God. But no matter how much I tried to do for God, it never felt good enough. I never felt that God really loves me just who I am. When I did more, when I had a really awesome, awesome worship experience on Sunday, felt loved. My relationship was based on what I did. And when I failed, because I did fail, when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, sin didn't just disappear in my life. When I sinned, I felt this deep sense of rejection. Because I felt I was not good enough for the love of God. I had this lie that I'm only loved and accepted through my performance. And when I failed to perform, I was rejected. And I felt this way about God. See, it was easy for me, or easier for me to believe that God has forgiven me for my sins. But it was difficult for me to believe that I'm deserving of his righteousness. In some way I felt I was forgiven for sins, but I had to deserve my righteousness. And this carried on for such a long time until I really started to believe through some discipleship and many teachings and prayer I started to believe that what Jesus has done is enough. And I receive his righteousness based on what he did and not what I do or don't do. 
I had to come to a place where I had to surrender that lie. Surrender that control. To think that God can love me more based on what I do. I had to realize that nothing that I've done and nothing that I will ever do will change the way that God views me. And when that settled in my heart, I started to see a change in my relationship with God. I started to experience God's joy and His peace. So I wasn't striving for it, I was just receiving it. When I started to accept that I am loved and viewed as holy, the motive behind the things that I did started to change. And suddenly I saw certain things in my life being overcome. Because now I wasn't striving to become holy. I was living from God's holiness. I share it this morning with you because I believe all of us struggle with really living holy lives. But holy living is not about a list of do's and don'ts that we have to avoid and do. Holy living starts by believing what God says we are. That's the first step in living a life worthy of God. It's to believe what he says about you. It's to believe that God has made you holy. That what Jesus has done is enough and nothing that you can do can add or take that away. This is our starting position in every decision and every situation. Holy. Tomorrow when you wake up, God says, good morning, my holy child. When you work, walk into that situation at work, you walk in as holy. When you face that difficult family member, holy. When you walk into the braai on Friday, you enter it different than the world. You enter it as holy. See, when we start to believe that God has made us holy, and this is the starting position of everything that we face and do, then rather than avoiding certain things, we start to do certain things because we are holy. Our belief about ourselves changes the way that we live. If I believe I am holy, it changes the way that I'm living. Because I'm already holy, I want to live differently. It changes the motive behind what we do. Now we're not striving to please God. We're not striving to be holy because God has made us holy. We're simply trying to live as the people of God. Different. Our motive is different because we're already holy and He's already worthy. Because God has made us holy, we speak differently. We treat people differently. We spend money differently. We manage our time differently. We conduct ourselves differently. 
we conduct ourselves differently around people in order that they may experience something of God. Because I'm holy, I stay away from pornography. Because it's not worthy of God. It's not something I have to try and overcome in my life. I'm already forgiven. And I live from that belief that I've conquered this thing. I do not waste my life on meaningless things because I'm holy. And as we approach life with this conduct of God has already made me holy, we're asking God, would you change my conduct so that it will reflect something of who you say I am? I need you to change me. God, I'm entering this situation. I'm entering this social environment. I'm entering this thing that I usually would have struggled with, but I believe that you've changed me. Would you help me to live the way that you've called me to? And then we see how the Spirit of God, if we go back to the prayer for, the Spirit of God starts to change us. And we become the men and women that your God created us to be. Reflecting something of God's holiness. So to conclude this morning, what does it mean to live holy? It's to live a life worthy of the Lord by believing that we are already made holy by what Jesus has done. It's to approach life differently. Not trying to receive something, but being that what God has already made us. Because I'm holy, I live in a way that is worthy to God. Let's close our eyes. And this morning I want us to end a little bit different. I want us to ask as we're just silent, that we ponder over this, the next questions. If you think about your life, are you living in a way that is worthy to God? Or might you be living alienated in hostility towards God? I want to ask you this morning, what does it mean for you when you hear God sees you as holy?
want to ask you this morning to imagine how your life might change if you really believed what God says about you. If you really believe that God says you are holy, forgiven, without blemish, you are my child. You are loved and accepted just as you are. Imagine how your life might change. The message of the gospel says that God has reconciled us, that he has changed us from one nature to another, that he has forgiven us our sins and that he sees us as holy without blemish because of what Jesus has done. And that this is true for every one of us if we continue in our faith, the faith that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, the continued decision to trust him and turn to him and submit to him. This morning is again an opportunity for all of us to bring those areas of our lives that do not reflect something of the worthiness of God to him. It's an opportunity for all of us to, to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, would you help me to believe? It's an opportunity for all of us to come to him and thank him for what he's already done. It's an opportunity for all of us to come to him and ask him, Lord, would you help me to live in a way that's worthy of you? It's where you are. You know what areas is not reflecting something of God's holiness. You know what areas God is placing this morning on your heart. You know what are some of the lies that you carried into your relationship with God. You know what are some of the things that you struggle to believe about God and what God says about you. But God's word is true and faithful. Don't you this morning just want to respond to him and say, God, I choose to continue to stand fast in my faith in you. In your own words, don't you want to repent? Don't you want to ask God's forgiveness for the way that you're living, for the areas where you're not honoring him? You want to ask God to forgive the unbelief in your heart. I want to ask God for, to forgive you for the performance of trying to win his approval. 
Father, we thank you this morning for the great privilege of knowing you, knowing that you've brought us near to you. And Lord, that from relationship we can live differently. And Lord, I pray that as you highlight certain areas of all of our lives this morning, that you would come and help us to believe that what you've already said about us over those areas. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe that you've called us to be holy, to believe that you have already made us holy, Lord. And I pray that you would empower us and strengthen us by your spirit, that regardless of what situation and area of life we're facing, that it will do from a conviction that you've already changed our nature, that you see us as holy, without blemish, forgiven. And Lord, this morning we pray and we ask as a church, would you help us to live from this status? Would you help us to approach life from this conviction? May this not just be words, but may it become our truth. And Lord, as we do this, I pray that you would come and change our language, change our conduct. Lord, would you come and change the way that we're living, that it aligns with that what you're already saying of us. We thank you for what you've done, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can, with full confidence, acknowledge this morning that we are justified if we choose to accept you as Lord and Savior. And thank you that we can live with the hope that you would continue to sanctify us so that we may live lives that's worthy of your name. Lord, would you help us to be your people to be set apart, to live differently, to live holy for your name's sake. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come to the front. We want to end this morning. We're going to sing that song again of Build My Life as an affirmation and conviction of what we believe God is doing when we start to believe that what he said over our lives. And I want to encourage you that let's stand and let's not sing the song, but that we'll sing it with a conviction, believing that what Jesus has done is enough. And that we'll live from that status as the people of God, set apart, different, holy. Let's stand.